For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. everybody to another edition of the podcast of the show i'm shane told and this is lead singer syndrome a podcast where i talk to other lead singers about what it's like to be the front man or front woman of a band this has been a highly highly requested guest we've got anthony aka tony from seattle's finest dragged under this is a newer band they really just hit the scene a couple years ago releasing their debut record the world is in your way going on tour with the used kind of came out of nowhere to be honest but if you are from seattle you maybe heard of their old band and we talk all about that and more super super interesting story anthony is I wouldn't say outspoken. It's not the right word. I'd say honest. And we get to everything in this conversation. It's a long one. It's a good one. I really, really am excited for you to hear from Anthony. And maybe this is your first time hearing of Dragged Under. You are in for a treat because their debut record, which is two years old now, The World Is In Your Way, is an awesome, awesome record. So make sure you check it out. Before we get into that, I do want to remind you, you can always get in touch with me. You can send me an email, leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. I read them all. Follow me on social media, 
at Lead Singer Syndrome on Instagram, at Shane Told on pretty much everything else. Follow us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash Shane Told. I do a lot of these podcasts live on there. Mike Howell and I do the New Noise live on Twitch Wednesdays, 6 p.m. Not every week because, you know, shit happens and you can't always do it. Life gets in the way of living sometimes. However, we do it as much as possible. So twitch.tv slash Shane Told. It's a good follow. Trust me. It's a really, really good follow. If you want to support the show for as little as six bucks a month, that gets you bonus content, that gets you merchandise, and that gets you access to an incredible community. Shout out to my sinners worldwide, baby. Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. That's what keeps the lights on around here. Without my sinners ponying up a couple bucks every month, I would not be able to keep this thing going. So all I ask is you check it out, okay? Leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. And that's about it. You know, I'm jumping into the new year. Feeling good, feeling excited about 2022, even if we are still in lockdown up here in Canada. I got a little bit of a spring in my step. Everything is going well with me. And I hope it's going well with you. Thank you so much for listening. And if I could just remind you, whatever you're listening to this on, if you're not already following, just hit that follow button, whether it's Spotify or Apple or some other random podcast app or even on the web. If there's a follow button, click it because it really, really does help me out a lot. Uh, if you like the show, please write a review on iTunes as well. That also keeps, you know, things present and people seeing it, which is how this, you know, keeps spreading and tell a friend, tell a loved one. Word of mouth has always been super important for this show as we're getting into the 300s. It's crazy, man. 300. So thank you. Whether it's your first one or whether you've listened to all 300 before this, Welcome, and you're the best. Anyway, let's get into it, shall we? Anthony dropped some big news as well at the end, okay? So get through this one. It's a good one. Here it is. Anthony, a.k.a. Tony, from the band, Dragged Under. I'm here with Tony from Dragged Under. Is it Tony or Anthony? What do you prefer? Yeah, Tony's good. I, I, we're just going, huh? Yeah, dude, we just go. What do you mean? Oh, right on. <laughs> okay. If you want to shoot the shit for a bit, we can, but I'm going to record it anyway. Yeah, I thought we were going to talk about, you know, golf and stuff, but that's okay. We'll just go. <laughs> we can. I mean, I mean, um, <laughs> let me ask you this. Yeah. Seattle, it's obviously a rainy place, but not too snowy. Can you golf pretty much all year round there? Um, you, I, I guess you could, I, I don't, mm-hmm. um, you know, ironically enough, I was just having this conversation with my fiance about, uh, about moving and, and a lot of it is because of that reason. Cause like, I, <laughs> I don't really like the outdoors. Like I'm not like a, I'm not like a hiker or like an outdoorsy person. Um, but I love to golf Yeah, <clears throat> and in here it's like, you can play like seven months out of the year 
um, maybe a little bit more, but it does get like a little bit, I, we've played in the rain and the problem is not necessarily the rain. It does slow the ball down a little bit and your drives will go less far. And it's a little bit more of a challenge hitting the ball when it, when the ground is wet and it sure. sticks, sure. but <clears throat> you know, there's some, there's some positives to it. You get to pick the ball up and clean it every shot <clears throat> and give yourself like a good, a good lie. But I, I, the, the courses around here just don't drain well, which you would think yeah. like living in a place like this, you would think that they would just like, that would be a big consideration is drainage. Um, yeah. But yeah, man, no, it's in the winter. I just kind of post up in the garage and uh, <laughs> hit on the, sim, on the simulator or uh, travel out of town. Like I still have family in LA and uh, my dad lives in Texas. So we'll travel. We go to the east side of the state too quite a bit, which is where my fiance's family is from. And it's, it's better over there in the winter, but it does, the ground does freeze. So sometimes they won't shut the courses down because it's wet, but, but the grounds will be frozen. So they can't, um, they don't really want people out there on the, on the grounds when they're frozen. You fall down. Yeah. I I mean, you know, people don't always associate punk rock with golf, but, uh, here we are. Is this something you've been into like since you were a little kid or is it more of a recent endeavor? No, I, I play golf. Um, I started playing when I was probably like 10. Yeah. Uh, but I, I stopped for a long time when I started doing music like real heavily. So it was probably like the first sport that I was really into. Um, like, you know, I would go away with my parents and stuff. We would go on golf trips. That was like the family thing on my, my mom's side with my stepdad. Cause he was a professional golfer. Oh. Um, and he wasn't on like the tour, but he had his card, you know, and he could teach and work in the, in the world as a professional golfer. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> it was like something we did as a family and, and we had a country club right down the street that we belonged to. So, um, you know, we just, just so happened to be able to just walk down the street and hit balls whenever I wanted. So that's kind of how I got into it. And then I just, um, I picked it back up once I moved to Washington, um, just for something to do. Cause I, I moved here with work and, and originally I was working for Zoomies, that skateboard shop. Yep. Yep. And I worked for them for like a decade. And so I moved up here in Washington and was just like, there was nothing else to do besides like play video games. And it was like really the only thing getting me outside. So I picked it back up, um, and I've been going pretty hard on it for like the last four years cool. again. Cool. So you must be pretty good. I'm okay. I'm like a just barely a single digit handicap, but oh, that's some, good. Some days are better than others. You know, like I'll definitely go out there and shoot a, a, a mid nineties on a bad day. Yeah, that's I, hey, I'd take a mid nineties uh, every time. That's I'm, <laughs> I'm not a, I'm not a very good golfer, but I do enjoy it. Do you play with the guys? I know Paul's pretty good, right? Paul Mark. Paul Mark is very good. Um, he has actually has a similar story to you. Like he he played a lot when he was a kid, and his dad and his brother really really big golfers. And then same thing. Like you kind of. I feel like this happens to everybody with sports. Like you're big into sports when you're a kid, then you discover music and you get like so obsessed with it that sports just kind of goes off to the side for a while. Until you realize, like, wait a second, I like sports. Why am I not, you know, right. like watching them or playing them or whatever? But he, yeah, we went really hard yeah. um, on the last tour because with the COVID and, and the restrictions and stuff, it was one of the only things we were really allowed to do. So yeah. um, I wasn't playing as much as, as Paul, Mark, and Josh. They, they were playing like, like they played more golf, more rounds of golf than we had shows. Dude. So it was like every day. I want to tour with you guys so bad because of that. Like <laughs> we tried to do it on the bear tooth run. Cause Caleb's a big golfer and yeah. he's, he's really, he's really good. Um, and they got out a couple times. I know wage war got out one time and, um, <clears throat> we obviously, we had to take a break from the tour cause, cause yeah. a couple of us got, well, I got COVID. Yeah. Um, and so we had a couple exposures we needed to like mitigate. So I stayed home for a couple of days and when we went back out, um, by the time we got to the East coast, 
and we had a couple of days off in a row. They had just had that like hurricane or whatever that came through. Right. So all the courses were thrashed. So nobody was taking tee times just like where I was when we were off. So it just never lined up. I even had my clubs with me for like most of the tour and it just didn't. Yeah. We brought all our clubs with us and everything. So we were all set up with that and it was, it was a good time. It was, it was a good time and uh, it's, it kind of rekindled my love for golf and um, I'm hoping next year will be, be a big year, but you know, January 20th, uh, Canada, not a lot of golf to be played right now. So, yeah. I bet not at you all. guys are like Toronto area, like East side. Yeah. yeah um, where that's where we're from originally. I live in Windsor, which is right beside Detroit. So I live just, oh, on yeah. the, just on the West side of the province. So. Right next to the uh, Caesars Palace, right? Yeah, that's right. We have a Caesars. We have a Caesars here, so that's our big claim to fame. Not not open at the moment, but yeah, we have one. Classic. Yeah. I tend to um, like. I think about that all the time. Where like, if I had never stopped playing golf, like, could I could I have gone pro? And it's one of those sports where like literally anybody can go pro, which is what I love about it. Because you look at the guys on tour, and there's like a bunch of like five eight, one hundred sixty pound guys. And then there's a couple like real actual like athletic dudes and just a bunch of fat guys. Like, it's true. It really doesn't discriminate. It's a cool sport like that where anyone, it's like bowling, I guess. Like anyone <laughs> can really go pro. Yeah, it is. Except there's a lot more money in golf than bowling, I think. But uh, No shit, yeah. <laughs> but no, it's true. I'm, I mean, it's a little bit like that with hockey too. Like I never played, even though I'm Canadian, I never played hockey. And it's like, that's another sport. You can be like, I'm 5'9". You can be 5'9". And you know, whatever. And you can play hockey. There's plenty of guys, yeah. maybe not as much as golfers. Um, but you know, it's true. You'd be like, you'd be like low average height in the NHL. Yeah, I'd be low. Like these days, man, it's like, it used to be that guys were smaller. Um, now, I mean, they're getting bigger and bigger, but regardless, it's still, it's one of those sports. It's like, it could have played basketball. No, like I, I ain't got Muggsy Bogue skills, you know? So anyway, yeah. Well, I mean, I play hockey now and I'm, I'm five, seven. So it's, there's definitely a lot of, and I mean, I'm not pro or anything, but, um, we played a pretty high level, but there's not like, it's funny. Even the guys in the league, like, you know, Alex to he's on the Blackhawks. He's like one of mm -hmm. the, the better players in the league right now. And he's five, seven. So yeah. like it, and you know, and like Brian Gionta, you can definitely do it for sure. But, oh, totally. um, it's not too late for you to go pro dude. Totally. So you, you mentioned that you moved to Seattle to work for Zoomies. Uh, where, where did you grow up? I grew up in LA. Oh, okay. Um, like just, uh, just outside of like, I'm, I'm from a place called Simi Valley, which is where like strung out and Poli are from. Yeah. Um, and we had the skate lab, um, which was like where Limp Bizkit filmed that break stuff music video. Okay. So we like, you know, there's a huge, huge music culture where I'm from. Um, and skateboarding was huge too. Cause there was nothing else to do there. It's like a pretty quiet town. Um, <clears throat> you know, we had like the Ronald Reagan library. So it's like fairly conservative. Like there's just not a lot of like cool, fun, rebellious things to do as a kid besides like skate and, and do music. So, um, and even LA surprisingly, like people it's gotten better, but LA is like a skippable market for like a lot of bands. And people think LA is like a, like a real happening city, but most shows don't go to LA. Like they go to like Anaheim, yep. right. Or, or San Diego. And then they skip LA and go to like the next Northern market. So, um, yeah, I mean, but, but we had like the orange County music scene growing up, right? Like when I was growing up, Avenge Sevenfold was just like Avenge Sevenfold, the Treyu, like AT Visions, Throwdown, yep. uh, Ign yeah. Ignite. Yeah. They're all, all OC bands. Yeah. Yeah. These are all bands that were like only an hour and a half from where I lived and would come up to play all the time. Um, where we were at. And so I got to see like a lot of these bands play at like a pretty small venue that I worked at. Um, 
<clears throat> one of my buddies was running it. It's called the Kung Fu Corner. He does like merch for us now. Um, our merch guy, Justin, he used to run yeah. that venue and it was a karate studio in the daytime, which is, his dad owns the karate studio that he works at. Uh, and, uh, he would practice martial arts in the day. And then at night we would like roll out these like carpets on the mat and, and throw shows. And so we got to see a lot of bands that, you know, were coming up when I was in my early teens and they weren't famous yet. And we got to see him play for, you know, nobody. So that's kind of where like the love of like punk rock and, and our sound comes from is that like OC skate punk. Uh, and you know, being a Ducks fan, whenever they score, right. you hear Broham. Yeah, so exactly. it's like yep. it was just very ingrained in that Southern California culture that we had down there. So that's kind of where the influence comes from, you know, for our music. It totally, totally makes sense. I mean, I mean, I think I'd heard about your band uh, before I'd actually heard you. You know how that happens. You know, it's the word of mouth, and and you guys were on tour with the Used, and I never actually heard your band. And then when I heard your record, finally. I was like, this is a punk record like this. Like there, sure. There is like obviously modern elements of, you know, post hardcore and you know, you got, you're obviously you're really accomplished at both singing and screaming, but at its core, I'm like, these are punk songs like this. They're fast and they're aggressive. And for me growing up, you know, with the same kind of music, I, I really gravitated to it right away. I was like, this is really kind of refreshing in a way that, you know, Beartooth isn't afraid to to put punk rock into their music too. It's like, it was similar to that. So I can totally, that totally just makes sense. Yeah, it's, and it definitely is hard to like, you know, I think sometimes you have to be maybe a little bit older, like where, where we're from, you know, the 30, 30 plus mark is really where people start to understand that difference, right? Because there's not a lot of bands like that anymore. Like, there's very few like true, um, like skate punk, street punk, like not bands really. doing not really. it anymore. You know, Old Rise Against maybe, but even they like blurred the lines a lot between like punk and metal uh, in their earlier days. And I think that that's what you see now more of is punk influenced metal. Um, and we try to do like, <clears throat> like when, when people ask us what kind of music it is, like if they if they know about music, we just tell them it's punk pop. Because we're definitely not pop, pop right, punk, right? But it's like a punky sounding metal with like pop elements, right? Like we're still writing like big choruses and trying to get people to sing along and tap their feet and stuff like that. But yeah, it was very much. And then Fluff is the same way, right? Like he's a little bit older than us, even still. But he grew up on all that same stuff, like yeah. the Strung Outs and um, No Effects, and yeah. um, obviously we love off the Offspring, and we draw a lot of influence from bands like that. Sure. No, and I can hear it, and I and I love it. Uh, it's funny, you know, you and I first met because you were, I didn't even know you were in Dragged Under, and you booked a couple ads on this very podcast, working, you know, as like an uh, ad agent, um, which I thought was really interesting. Yeah, that's been my my full time gig now for uh, like five years. Um, and the podcast space is slow, so apologies. I know you're staying busy anyway, it's, which is great, but I definitely want to be pushing more stuff towards podcasts. It's just a tough market to sometimes corner down because of the way the analytics work out. Like, There's not a lot of stuff that you can share with brands and they don't get to see in real time like how the performance is. But sure, yeah, we, sure. so we do a lot of stuff with like YouTube. Um, that's our big one. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was obviously a fan of you and I knew you had the podcast and was like, well, fuck it. Like, I need, I need a couple... Of, of placements for, for podcasts and I might as well reach out to people that I like. Cause I wasn't, you know, I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get a hold of Joe Rogan or whatever. Like right. <laughs> I, I needed to be like people that I could get access to and that I wanted to support. So that was how I started the business was when I was in my old band, Rest Repose yeah. with Jared, um, Jared Dines. Yeah. He was kind of small at the time. 
And um, as the band grew, it's like I, I, I was working for a positive grid at the time and I, I lost my job. I was part of a layoff. And I was like, well, I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do now. And he was like, well, be my manager. I was just like, I don't know anything about that, dude. And, you know, we just kind of figured it out together. Um, and I would do his sponsored deals. And there would be deals that he wouldn't take. So they were too small or like not the right brand fit or whatever. Um, yeah. And then I was like, well, I, can I give this to someone else essentially? And that's kind of how the agency was born. Well, it's, it's really cool. I mean, I mean, I thought it was very interesting. You know, you're legit in that world. I mean, those skills have got to help with, you know, marketing your own band, learning, you know, what to do. Because these days, I mean, obviously you got to have the goods, you got to have the music, um, and you guys do, but it's a whole other thing altogether to then get your music into people's ears and figure out how to present that, right? Sure. And for us, it's typically not for a lack of ideas. Usually for us, it comes, it starts with the budget, right? Like we, we, we know what we want to do. And a lot of times, especially just because that's the world we're in, right? It's like influencer marketing. Obviously Fluff plays guitar for us and he's, he's got a following on, on YouTube, um, from his gear channel. Mm-hmm. And like, so, so we know what we want, but our, our philosophy has always been like, you know, lose a dime today to make a dollar tomorrow. Yeah. And you know, how many people are out there just like, like imagine if nobody was reacting to you know, discovering the waterfront or, or doing covers or like back in the day, you didn't even have that luxury. Like, no. I, I don't even know how I discovered your band, probably fused or something like that. Um, yeah, maybe. but you had to just get lucky. Like people don't realize how fucking hard it was for you guys to break through that noise. And like these days, anyone can literally put money into their thing and get heard. And it doesn't mean that they're going to have a lasting career, but, but just having your, um, like your face, proverbial face being seen anywhere that people can find it is a good, it's a net good. Cause maybe 10, maybe, maybe let's use like the 1% rule that I say. So if it's 250,000, 2,500 of those people maybe bought a t-shirt. Right. And, and let's say you're selling shirts for $10, which you're probably not, they're probably more, but back in the day, maybe they were 10 bucks. Let's say, they, <laughs> yeah. let's say, let's say 1% of that number goes to a show and buys a shirt. That's a $10 door ticket back in the day and a $10 shirt. So now 2,500 people just spent 20 bucks. So now you've made $50,000. Yeah. Oh yeah, man. Well, the biggest thing back in the day, um, you know, before YouTube and before social media and everything was all of the, you know, illegal downloaded music like Napster and SoulSeek and, and Kazaa and all that, you know, we have no idea how many people downloaded our music from, from those. But I'll tell you this, we went down to Mexico for the first time where we didn't have a record distributed and they knew every single word, you know, Mexico city, we had like a thousand people sold out first time there and they knew every single word. So, you know, that stuff, to your point, I mean, yeah, the 1% rule, I mean, there's, there definitely is, that is a huge thing, you know? And not to mention just, you know, people passing around uh, burn CDs and, yes. and mix CDs and, and whatever, right? So it, that's the thing about being in a band is so much stuff of why things work or don't. It's it's not always easy to really know why, right? You know, or, or what what sticks with people over the long haul. So, you know, hey, I'm I'm happy to be here, but it's it's really great to talk to you about this because you have such a analytic perspective on it, and a lot of singers of bands really are just like, I don't know, man, I just like try to sing real well, or you know, and 
I think about Goldfinger all the time, right? And what kind of like fandom was essentially built out of nothing by them just agreeing to do the Tony Hawk video game. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, I don't know if Silverstein's ever had that kind of placement, but you know, every time I die, I had that song in guitar hero. Right. And how many, how many people do you think from that, from that video or from that game became fans of every time I die? It's probably immeasurable how many people Dude, spent money because of that. I completely agree. I mean, I remember I didn't, I didn't play a lot of guitar hero, but it was always people always playing on the bus. And I remember all that remains had like one of the coolest songs and it was Hell one yeah, of the like hardest songs on like guitar hero two or whatever. And that, ba- that, that game made that band at least five times bigger. I swear, you know, um, well, look at, Dra- look at dragon force, you know, yeah, Herman is yeah, sure. still riding that wave. Sure. And with Silverstein to answer your question, no, not really. And, and part of it was victory. You know, we were on victory and they had yeah. a lot of, um, I don't want to disparage any of the employees cause the employees were all really great people. Um, but it was, it was an uphill hill battle with a lot of that. But I will say one time we got a placement for, NCAA baseball. Nice, dude. For like PlayStation 1 or 2 or yeah. I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah, college baseball. You wouldn't think that'd be a very hot seller, but man, the amount of people over the years that told me, "Hey, I first heard about you guys in this like this like baseball game." And I'd be yeah. like, "Yeah." And I we didn't even know. Like they didn't say, "Oh yeah, you're going to be in this baseball game" or whatever. It was just like someone came to a show and was like, "Yeah, I heard you on like this video game." We're like, "Oh, we have no idea." Like never saw any money from it, I don't think. And you know, but if 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 that can happen with a college baseball game, then think about right. what happens if you get your game, your name in like, I don't know, fucking Madden or something, you know, like, or a huge, a huge video game. It's, there definitely is something to that. No doubt. Madden is, Madden is like the absolute peak, like any of those EA, uh, EA, like big four titles. So, you know, like if you did like baseball, football, basketball, or hockey, yeah, like <clears throat> it's a big deal. But that's the other thing too, is when, when the, when the, um, the new Tony Hawk remaster came out, there was like a fake image going around of like bands that got added to the thing. And I remember like one of the dudes from like fit for a King, like tweeted at us and he was like, congratulations to dragged under for, for being on, you know, the new Tony Hawk video game. And I was just like, uh, what? Like texted our manager right away. And I was like, what do you know about this? And he's like, I don't think it's true. Oh man. And I was like, yeah. So I was like, what the fuck? So I guess it was maybe just like some fan made thing with like bands they wanted to see or bands that they thought made sense. But the other thing is like, it's not just about being on a game. It's kind of about being on the right game. So like when you guys came up, you could only fit 12 songs on a game or whatever. Right. So like, I remember Tiger was 2004. Right. Um, Brand new was on it. Uh, Rooney was on it. Um, so like the quiet things that no one ever knows, right? You're playing Tiger Woods and you're listening to brand new, like what a fucking time to be alive. <laughs> and, and like, I just remember that song being beat into my head and I, and, mm-hmm. and years later, that's how I would know that song. I wasn't totally. a fan of brand new, but I, but my fiance now was a huge fan of brand new. And I would hear that song and go, Oh, this is from Tony Hawk or uh, excuse me, Tiger Woods. Yeah. And she's, she's like, what are you talking about? Like, this is brand new. And I was just like, okay, cool. It's video game music. And like, so, I, you know, for, for uh, apropos of nothing, I, I never would have listened to that band was it not for a golfing game, like the most random game for like a, a semi, like 
post hard post hardcore adjacent band to be like participatory in, but it, it didn't matter. Yeah. But back in the day, it was it was special because they could only fit so much music on those discs. Yeah, it's now true. It's true, 100%. everything's digital. Yeah, so you can get an 80, 80 million gigabyte game, and and there's a thousand fucking songs, half of them which are just garbage. So, yeah, I mean, maybe that time is over. But if but if you're if you get one of those games where it's like a twelve game or a twelve song loop, and it your song is literally being heard, you know, in a session of gaming eighty five times, and people just absolutely being burn into people's memory yeah that's a pretty pretty cool thing for sure and and we don't we don't need to talk we could talk all day about this but the other thing too is like back in those days when you had you know video games with just that many songs tony hawk tiger was whatever there wasn't an outlet for people just to go on like spotify or apple music and just listen to whatever and put on a playlist and discover music yeah this was it was that or the fucking radio and the radio was didn't have any, you know, punk rock on it. Right. So like this was a way that people found out about music. Now it's like, it seems like there's new music everywhere to where used to be, you had just your 12 songs on your video game. You were playing for entertainment. Now, like you just go on and it's like playlist after playlist of new band after new band. And it all just kind of, it's not special, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's, I, I think it's harder than it ever was honestly right now. That, so yeah, that's true, right? That's the double-edged sword of this is that like you guys were coming up, you had to be like lucky enough so your parents could afford, um, you know, like Dish or like a satellite <laughs> network and you got Fuse or MTV2. Yeah. Uh, whereas like, you know, I would go to my dad's house where we did, where we were less less affluent and we were, I guess we'll, we'll just say we were poor and um, <clears throat> you had whatever MTV was playing, which, which we got some gems from. Like every now and again, if you were up early enough in the morning, they'd hit, hit you with some cool stuff. Like you'd get like a, um, <clears throat> like a Foo Fighters or like a Coheed and Cambria song or if it was early enough. Um, but if, but when I would go to my mom's house, I remember just like sitting and watching MTV two and fuse and just discovering these bands that I, at first listen, I'm like, I hate this. And then I, I'd like find myself going to search for it online, trying to find the song. But yeah, these days, <laughs> yep. these days it's like, it's almost like, with everyone can make a record in their bedroom and everybody can distribute that record for $20 a year on DistroKid. Yeah. And it's impossible to cut through a lot of the noise unless you're willing to do that extra work, right? It's not like you're just going to get lucky anymore like back in the day where one person found you like a victory. Victory like they broke bands when you guys were on their label like 100%. Maybe it probably wasn't great all the time, but I remember being on tour when I was 16 and we were at an AM PM and I'm like walking up to the door at 4 AM or whatever, like we're getting gas and I'm hearing, uh, Ohio is for lovers over the AM PM radio. Yeah. So it's like, you know, maybe not, maybe not the best situation cause they weren't great to their bands, but like, goddamn, if that label wasn't one of the best at like just getting you to hear their bands. Yep. No, you're right. I mean, yeah. And back in those days, you had to be on Victory or Equal Vision or uh, Fearless or Hopeless or, you know, just there was like a half dozen labels, you know, Vagrant, Epitaph. There was a half dozen labels that really you needed to be on one of them to do anything. That was that was pretty much how it worked. There weren't really independent bands um, like there kind of can be now, although it's still a struggle, still hard. Yeah, it was, it was tough. It was tough to even like, even if you were a band who got a really sick offer, like a tour, if you didn't have like a label behind it, like pushing you, pushing everything forward together, it didn't really matter. Like there was that band cut you up. Do you remember that band? No. 
So there, there was a band called Cut You Up, and there's a documentary on this. Um, I think it's called Riding in Vans with Boys. And it's about how they opened the, <clears throat> well, they didn't, it, it's, it's a good documentary, but they were like the openers on that Pop Disaster tour. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was with, with Green Day and Blink, I yep. think? Yeah, Blink and Jimmy World and Green Day. Yep. And so like they were supposed to open that tour, but it's, it's just like weird how you've never heard of them. You've never heard of this documentary, but they were like getting looks on, on big shows like that. And it, it ends up like falling apart kind of. That's like kind of what the documentary is about. But the point is like, it wasn't enough back then to just know people because they were so, they, the, the whole thing was so gatekept um, by, by your label, by the radio, by MTV and the, the VJs. Yep. And you couldn't just be like, oh, fuck you. I'm distributing my own music. I'm going to fucking hire TikTok people to like dance to it and it's going to be <laughs> great. And there's right. nothing you can do about it. So, yep. <clears throat> but, but it's almost going backwards now where like the, we had this cool thing of like the the free market YouTube internet TikTok thing, and now that's being a little bit gatekept again now by like by your distributor, by your label, not allowing you to, you know, like not allowing your songs to be used in certain ways. So it's getting weird. It's almost like we discover, uh, you know, a new thing, and then you know how the government likes to come in and mess up cool new things that we find. It's kind of like that, but it's like there's like a fake internet government kind of like holding their hands over all these bands and making it harder to, to like do what you want to do with your music. So, but you're right. Like yeah. that's part of the, yeah. that's the double edged sort of signing to a label is like, we needed the money to make the record and in exchange, we had to give them those rights. And so here we are. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, let's talk about Dragged Under. We haven't talked about your band too much. We've already <laughs> talked for like a half an hour. Um, so you mentioned that you, your band used to be called Rest Repose. Um, pretty much the same. It was you and, and uh, Fluff. And Jared Dines was in it. You know, people know him from YouTube and from uh, his new project, Scion, with Howard Jones. Um, and it seems like the band kind of collapsed and then Dragged Under kind of came out of nowhere with this incredible debut record, but in a way that was sort of like you'd already kind of had your, um, your practice round with, with your, with your old name. Yeah. We, we don't consider this like that band continued. It's a, it's a brand new band, right? Like we, mm -hmm. so people, that's a common misconception is people are like, Oh, you changed your name. And it's like, mm, we didn't change our name so much as we just kept all the social medias. Like we, I guess we changed the name there, but you know, it's, it's its own new, new, brand new thing. Like we don't, we don't try to like we don't use the catalog of Rest Repose songs ever. We don't make we don't make any money off of that. Right. So this is its own brand new deal. And I, I mean, basically, it was either this or I'm done with music forever. 
and I'm going to start, I'm going to go try to be a professional golfer. <laughs> Cause at the time I was 25 and I still thought I, you know, I still thought I could do it and, um, <clears throat> it wasn't too late, but now it's like, so, you know, we, when we were on tour with rest repose in our last tour, and this was on our second singer, uh, Tanner and things were going pretty good. We liked the dude. He was a great writer. <clears throat> he was pretty fun to be around. And then, you know, he was, but he was a smoker and a drinker. And as a singer, it's like, you know, it's already hard enough. Like, you, you know how it is on the last tour, you guys, you lost your voice. Yeah. So it's like hard enough to maintain your, your physical fitness in terms of your voice as it is. And he, like, he would complain about like the fog machine and stuff like that. And I'm like, dude, the fog machine is, is water. Like there's, right. there's nothing in there. It's not, it's not as bad as your cigarettes. I promise. I swear those things do fuck me up though. But I, I, Maybe. I see if it was just, if it was just, here's my thing. If it was just water, then how come they don't put water in them? They put like weird stuff that you have to get in like those jugs. To, you know what I mean? So there's something in it. It's, it's all, a lot of that stuff is burned out though. When, when it becomes the fog, right? So there's not, it's not that there's nothing in it. There's definitely something in there, but it's not, it shouldn't be harmful to you. It, it might, it might make your mouth taste funny and maybe get, maybe dry out a little bit. But my, my thing was like, once you do everything else that a singer should be doing, we'll worry about the fog machine. Like you're not warming up. You have no regiment. You drink, you smoke, like you don't do any vocal rest. So like, you know, I'm not going to let right. you blame the fog machine, which is carrying the weight of the entire light show. Um, until like everything else is, is done well. And I wasn't like the best singer in the world, but it was like, you know, you know, I can sing. And like, I, I, I didn't, I haven't changed much from then to now. I took a few lessons, but I was always an okay singer and I knew what I was doing and I knew what I wanted. And a lot of that's, mm -hmm. that's a lot of the times how the band works is it's not always the singer calling the shots. Like, you know, this was a democratic process and, and the rest of us were starting to get really pissed off that this one guy wasn't doing what he's supposed to do. And he was blaming the things we needed to make the show sick. Like if you can have a light show without fog, but it's, it's definitively less cool. Um, so, you know, we were just like going back and forth about that. And then he basically totally blew his voice out and we decided we were just going to go on without him. And we sent him back home and we did the rest of the tour. And I, I was singing for the rest of the tour and we backtracked the bass parts cause I was on bass at the time. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. That's the other thing is, is it was confusing looking back. Cause I was like, this doesn't sound like Tony singing when I, when I went back and listened to rest repose, I was like, okay. And I was confused. And now I'm reading that. Yeah. You were the guitar player and Jared played drums. Okay. It's like crazy. Yeah. You guys just, you guys can do it all. That was, yeah, that was the initial lineup. Well, Jared's like so talented. He's like such a multifaceted guy. Yeah. So he was, he was playing drums. I was on guitar. And then when, when we lost our bass player, um, I, I basically bit the bullet and was like, all right, I think, like I'll move to bass because I knew Fluff wasn't going to do it, um, <laughs> and then Jared would come up to guitar and we would hire a new drummer, um, and so we got we basically redid re re the whole lineup, and that was like our lineup moving forward was was Tanner on vocals, I was on bass, Fluff Jared on guitar, and then we had Chris Gazelle. Um, you may know him, but he he does sound for uh, Silent Planet, oh, okay. amongst other, okay. amongst other people, but he was playing drums, and then. So yeah, once we booted Tanner, I backtracked all the bass parts and sang for the rest of the tour. And then when we got home, the guys were like, well, like, we don't really want to get another singer. We think you're fine. Like, you should just keep doing the singing thing. And I was just like, well, <clears throat> I don't really, you know, like, n no shade, guys, but I don't really want to be like the third singer of this band. Like, I don't, I don't want that to be where my legacy is. Because you know how hard it is. Like, it's hard enough when you're like a band with one singer for your entire career 
switching singers is like the death kiss for bands. <laughs> it can't be so, for sure. It's tough to dude, it's tough to it's tough to uh to live through that stuff. And some bands have done it really, really well, but you have to get like a guy who's arguably like way, way better than the last guy, and then people will be like, all right, fine. But it's tough sometimes to switch singers because it changes your whole sound. Um, it's not like changing a guitar player where it's like he plays the same gear and nobody knows the difference on the records. <clears throat> um, so we, I basically was like, look, I, I, here's what I want to do. Like, if I'm going to sing for this group, I think we should just start over. And we were a little bit reluctant to that at first, but once we like sent the music around to people and they were like, this music is fucking sick, but you cannot release it under that name. Right. Like you got to start over. This is way cooler. You'll, you'll like do yourself a huge disservice by making this like your third release of rest repose rather than just coming out strong with something new. Yeah. And that's, that's definitely, that definitely worked. So yeah, we're, we're glad. I mean, obviously it paid off, but it was a scary thing at the time, right? Because you put like four years into this other project just to be like, no, you need to start over. Because right. starting over is typically very, very hard. Um, and in this instance, we found that it was easy because I think we were just writing better music. And, you know, we went in with a producer for this record, whereas the, the first two Rest Repose records, we just did fully on our own. Um, it was self, self-released, self self-mixed, self-mastered, self-written. Yep. So fully DIY front to back. <clears throat> but once we let like accomplished songwriters come in and help us, um, you know, things were a lot better. And we obviously had Josh, who's your editor, yeah. who was playing guitar for us at the beginning. Yep. And, uh, you know, he was a huge part in influencing the sound because he had a bunch of sick riffs for Rest Repose that we were going to use. But by the time we went into the studio, it was just like, he was writing this crazy cool shit. And it was just like, this is not Rest Repose. It doesn't sound like that anymore. So let's just scrap it and start over. And if this doesn't work out, then we can all just retire and, <laughs> you know, yeah. do, do, stuff, do stuff for money. Well, you didn't retire. Uh, you put out this record, The World's in Your Way, in 2020. Um, you know, 2020 starts. Everything is going so well for you guys. You release the record. You're on tour with The Used. And then it happens. <laughs> and, sa- I mean, sadly, you know, the pandemic has... It's been a huge narrative of your career so far, right? I mean, it's really derailed yeah. your progress. It's sad to say. To say the least. I mean, we had... We had a lot of plans. I mean, uh, you know, like we have had all these cool potential things that were like, oh, you're supposed to go to Europe with this band or like this band's going to take you out like next year. And just like we've had our looks, right? Like the the way I look at it is like we're like a home run hitter band where we'll just get this fucking massive tour (laughs) that we have no no business being on and just walk up there and hit a grand slam and then strike (laughs) out five times and then hit another grand slam. So that's kind of where we're at is like, we don't have, when we get, when we get traction, it's like we're being shot out of a fucking cannon. And then it's like, we're frozen in time for, you know, six months to a year. Obviously we just had the can't swim tour got canceled. Yeah. Um, which we were really excited about. And, and because we had that tour on the books, we couldn't accept anything else. Sure. And we took, we took that tour, you know, six months ago before the bear tooth tour. So it's one of those like those dichotomies where you're like you have to accept things because you don't know what the future holds, but because you accept them, you lose out on other things, and that's typically not that not a big deal, unless what happens to us happens to you, where the tour just doesn't go through, and now you don't have a plan B, and now it's too late. Like <clears throat> there's probably nothing we can get on until after summer because everything now is all stuff that was be either rescheduled from COVID or new tours that have been booked for the last six months. So. We are in a bit of a purgatory right now as it relates to being able to tour. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's obviously been a setback now, but 
you know, it's it's just tough too when you have that momentum from this record coming out. That's a great record and the used tour. And then literally it's like, okay, you guys have to sit at home for a year and a half and your record gets older and older. And, yep. you know, you guys being a live band, I mean, you even put out some live songs. It, it just is not conducive to growth. You know, um, the growth that normal bands had over the past forever, you know, where you put out a record and you tour and that's how you cut your teeth on your first album cycle. And now you're going to have to go in. Uh, I assume you're working on, you know, another record. It's like, that's going to have to come out. And then it's like, okay, you got a lot of pressure for a band that didn't have a chance to really do it the way they should have done it in a normal environment, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, gaining that exposure from touring. Yeah. Oh, and not to mention just the money that you can make on tours. Like, oh yeah. Even like a small tour, man, <clears throat> the Beartooth tour, we, we ran out of merch in like the first week and then we ordered a shitload of merch. But then we removed ourselves from the tour for a week and a half because of COVID. Yeah. So like we had this big ass merch order that now we were never going to sell through and we missed eight shows you know, and our guarantee wasn't crazy, but it, but it like, it, it was paying for, you know, our travel and hotels at least like from A to B, but the merch every night was thousands of dollars Yeah, that, that we were missing out on. So now we're, you know, 15, 20 grand in the hole between merch and, and guarantees and all that stuff from the shows we missed. So like, you know, a tour that's supposed to help us out a lot ended up setting us back, like in terms of our finances. And we, we needed this can't swim thing to like, you know, to make a little bit more money. And it's, it's, it's interesting to, to, to see that, that touring is still the best way to make money as, as musicians, even with all the ability we have now to create and distribute music, uh, the number one tour or Avenue for, for earning for musicians is still touring for a lot of people. That's why Billy Joel is still touring. You know, 100%, like hundred percent. So a lot of these guys don't ever stop because it's, it's yep. far and away the absolute best way to make fast money. And you'll make in one tour what you might make in an entire album cycle. Mm, yeah, that's hundred percent, hundred percent true. I mean, yeah, if not more, uh, especially when you're, you know, a new band, um, and you don't, you know, you maybe don't own anything yet or you're still right. recouping and all that, you know, all that stuff is a problem. Um, I mean, you know, you, you've been fairly outspoken about COVID and, and some of the polit politics of it. And, you know, your, your single, your only single post, uh, post album release brainwash broadcast seemed to bring some politics in your music. Is this because of what you've experienced with this pandemic just being so frustrating? That's definitely part of it. Um, and I'm sure you guys probably feel that more than anybody. Like it's been way harder for you um, up there. And it's interesting because yeah. people typically like Trudeau, but it's, 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 and maybe I'm only seeing what, what Facebook wants me to see or whatever, but it seems like, you know, th there's a little bit of a uh, turning of the tides up there where people are like, I saw, you know, this like town hall where someone's like, we used to hang treason, treasonous people. And I was like, damn, this person just said that to the PM of Canada, like right. reminded well, them to hang people like that. Yeah. Like, it's just crazy. But anyway, yeah, I don't want to get too in the woods with that. But sure. my point is, I think you're seeing it a lot. And I think a lot of people are really frustrated about that. And and I'm, I'm already like a, I guess what we call like a libertarian, which is basically like a, let me do, do what I do what I like, let me do what I want to do as long as I'm not hurting anybody. And, and I'll, and I want you to do the same, you know, I want you to marry who you want. And if you want to do drugs, that's on you. Like as long as you're not hurting anybody else, I'd be like, you know, ultimately freedom should be our most important thing. And it's, it's our number one export here in the U S. Um, so 
you know, I've always been like a pretty um, political guy. Like I pay attention to it a lot, especially here. Cause it's like, whether or not you're interested in it, it's interested in you and it, it's going to affect your life, whether or not you pretend it doesn't exist. So it's, for me, it's fun to be, um, at least in the know, but the last one, you know, pretty much broadcast is <clears throat> definitely a commentary on, on the way that the media is used as a weapon here in the U S Yeah, and especially, especially the big, the big media companies, it, you know, that will just openly lie about stuff or spread misinformation or fear mongering. Uh, and a lot of it's activist, activism journalists, right? Like they're not, they're not always necessarily, you don't, you don't turn on, you know, CNN or MSNBC to get the news. Like you're, you're mostly getting opinion pieces from a lot of these big major news companies and, um, you know, and they're, they're being designed to scare you. And now half of them are, are being subsidized by Pfizer, you know, like all these newscasts are sponsored by Pfizer. And it's just like, we have this crazy collusion and, and the U S is like one of, I think, it's, I think there's only two countries in the world where like you can advertise medications and, and right. our pharmacy, like we have this, this pharmacy complex in the U S where years ago, these people absolutely hated big pharma because they created the opioid e epidemic in our country. Mm -hmm. And now people are like simping for big pharma. And a lot of that is being pushed by the media and, and the way that they spin things and want you to be afraid. And so you'll buy a product so they can get more sponsor dollars. And I work in advertising. Like I know how, I know how this stuff works and I benefit directly from some of, some of that, those tactics. But like, yeah, it just got, it started to get really frustrating when we couldn't get anything done because people were, oh, I saw on TV that this new Omicron is going to be blah, 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 or whatever. And everyone is so scared. And almost every single time it turns out to be a lot less scary than they want you to believe it will be. Right. And, you know, you just got to slow down and try to try to absorb information from multiple sources. And especially ones that are not getting paid by Pfizer to talk about vaccines. Um, and, and and do a little bit of, you know, your own homework and listen to some alternative sources on some of this stuff. But I, I see how it affects a lot of people. My fiance is a teacher. So, you know, they're, they're shutting down the school all the time. And so then she has to work from home and it's like, man, it's not, it's not as dangerous for children as, as it is for anyone else. Like these, we're, we're robbing these children of like an education and a lot of social um, interaction they need with their classmates and schoolmates mm -hmm. because, because of what? Something that, that kills very few children. Like if you're worried about it, you should definitely have the option to stay home. Like I think, I think at the end of the day, we need to go back to defaulting to what we do, which is freedom first. And then people want to, if you want to wear a mask for the rest of your life, that's totally cool. You can get every vaccine in the world. If you want, like you should be able to do that. That should be your prerogative. But the way we've kind of shut down so much of our own economy and ruined so many people's lives over this thing, it's just been such a bummer. Um, and yeah, anyway, that's a very long answer to a short question. No, I, I mean, I totally respect your opinion and, um, I don't know if I agree completely with, with everything, but I definitely feel the pressure up here. Um, like a lot of Canadians, I mean, we are in Ontario where I live, we are still under lockdown. Like I cannot, I cannot go to a restaurant, Like it is closed. Um, l pretty much the only thing open is retail stores. That's, that's it. So, um, I can't go to the gym. Um, I can't go bowling, you know, like n nothing like that. So, you know, I think up here, it's just people are very tired of it. You know, um, schools are closed as well. And you know, that's, um, that's tough. And that, and that is, it is affecting people and their lives. And, you know, you go to my city and you go to the downtown area and there's a lot of closed up shit, you know, because of it. And, um, 
Yeah. It's just, it's so hard to know what the balance is and what the right thing right. to do is, you know, that's, right. that's where I'm at with it is that I don't, I wish I had an answer, um, of what to do because I do see it from both sides in that, like, you know, um, I don't want a kid in school getting COVID and bringing it home and killing grandma. You know what I mean? That's, that's right. really, that's terrible. But at the same time, the long-term um, negative effects that are happening on children definitely have got to be apparent by now for kids that haven't been in school for two years. There's, there's yeah. no question. So it's right. um, a lot of it is lesser of two evils and, depending on what your profession is and depending on, you know, your everyday life, um, you're going to have a different opinion. And I think that's all okay. But man, I just do not like people like Trudeau um, and to a lesser extent, our premier Doug Ford, like I, to be honest, I don't like any of them, but they have such a difficult job right now to know what, to, what they're supposed to do and say. It is right. an almost impossible job, um, at least up here, to be a to be a politician. I don't know. Yeah, I, I'd like I don't know how those people sleep at night. Um, anyway, the stress of those jobs. Oh my god. Sure, and and it's you know imagine imagine doing it here in a country where no one likes you. You know, like <laughs> half, half people didn't vote for you, and they're half only voted for you to not vote for the other guy. Right. So it's. You know, we have we have a divisive po political system, as it were. Um, and you add on top of that, like the fact that this country was like we have a little bit of a, a we have a freedom bias for sure, right? Like our default position is always I, I'm, I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want because I'm because this is America. Like you know, we we very much lean heavily into that, um, and to some degree, I I do too, and and I want to be able to continue to do that. Um, but you know, we I think that we've we've lost a lot of the nuance in, in these conversations where it, it, it is very like some people do make it very black and white, but like you're saying, yeah, yeah. You don't want kids to be, you know, out of school for these formative years, like two, two years in school is that's a lifetime for these children. Like for like the development that they're not getting the socialization, they're not getting at, you know, 12 or 15 years old and not being able to be around these people and socialize. And, and I, so I was just in an interview last night, actually, I interviewed for um, a golf coaching position at one of the high schools up here. Um, and that's something that they said to me was like, you know, you're going to have a lot of kids that are new to the sport because we haven't had, we haven't had sports for the last two years. And on top of that, you're going to have a lot of kids who are going to act like junior high schoolers. You know, they're going to act like they're still in seventh or eighth grade. Hmm. Um, you're not going to get like a lot of that freshman maturity that you would expect because the last two years, a lot of them haven't been they haven't been primed for high school. They haven't been socialized properly to be in this environment. Yeah. So that was, yeah. that was really interesting to hear from like the educator's perspective, like this athletic director basically priming me to be like, you're going to be dealing with some like emotionally or socially stunted, uh, you know, student athletes. Yeah. So it's definitely affecting a lot of people in a lot of ways, but yeah, I mean, our, my, my, I don't speak for everybody in my band, I'm sure. Um, but you know, they, they get to read the lyrics before they go out. So there's nothing in there that they don't, they don't necessarily, I would say there's nothing in there that they disagree with. They maybe don't fully agree with it, but, um, but I try to make sure that the messaging for the, for the band is always at least in line, you know, within 10, 10 or 20% of what they believe so that I'm not sending a different message from things because they're not going to go up there on stage and play, play music passionately. If it's a subject matter that they're, they don't agree with. Yeah. Um, I think we've developed a healthy skepticism towards, uh, you know, the 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 mainstream co corporate media in this country and, and towards our politicians, and it, that's how. It well, that's 
that's been but that's been punk rock forever i mean you know for sure that's that's not new in in om um at all so you know question authority questioning authority is like literally what punk rock has always been based on so okay that's that's true but that's not what most punk bands are doing right now because it's, it's it's it hasn't become what you're saying anymore it's not question authority and you know like you're gonna die for your government anymore it's it's always gonna be the their or one specific person's political bias is going to supersede a, just doing the punk thing, which some could argue that at the end of the day, that is the most punk thing you can do is just whatever the fuck you think is right. Yeah. And that's what I've always tried to do. But, but I think a lot of people try to dress up punk in leather and studs and just say, oh, that's punk. And it's like, well, for me, what I think is punk is, is freedom and, and, you know, not, not exactly anarchy, but I think the next closest thing to it is, is like a, a libertarian or a small government um, ideology where, the power belongs to the people. The government can't tell them to get a shot, can't tell them they have to have a certain paperwork to go somewhere. And their job is to secure the freedoms that were, were granted to us. And I think that that's something we haven't done. We haven't done a good job of that in the US. Like, like you say, if, if the problem is like a kid going to school, getting COVID and bringing it up to grandma, they need to protect grandma. Right. Right. They don't need to protect the kid. They need to find a way so that the kid can live his life and we can find a way to protect the vulnerable people in our society. But we don't talk about any of that shit. <laughs> they don't talk about how, how to avoid getting sick, how to avoid dying from this virus. They just talk about, oh, the vac- get a vaccine and wear a mask. And it's, it's like, we're getting to the point now where that's not working anymore. The vaccine, it's not working on the new variant. So I'm, I'm vaccinated. All the dudes in my band are vaccinated. We, we, we did the song and dance. We wore the masks on tour. We all still got COVID. It's no one's fault, but, but our own. But you know, there's just like the more that I, the more that I go through this, the more that I realize like I don't think any of us really know what we're dealing with, or what we're talking about. But I'd much rather everybody get to live their life and do what they want. Right? You want to do a sponsored, you know, push for Pfizer on your Instagram account? That's sick. Do that. That's your that's your truth. That's punk to you. But yeah, I mean, it's when it when you're a small band like us, and like you know, like you said, where we've been riddled with problems with COVID, we cannot afford three years of one tour a year. We'll never make that. Well, no, you no. It's true. It's it is it is a it is you know. And to ask your original question, obviously, it's personal for you. You know, it it has it has derailed um, a lot of the success that you could have probably you know had. I mean, you're already you're doing great, but when it comes down to you know you guys trying to do like a live stream or something like that, um, which you did, that's difficult. You know, when you have you know been been around to you know, have people see you or a lot of people are seeing your band live quote, hand quotes, you know, um, for the first time. And it's through a computer screen, which is not ideal, you know? No. And it doesn't translate. Like that's not, that's not the best way for our band to capture your attention. Um, you know, like the best way for you to be excited about our band and the way we want you to see it is live is in person, you know, cause we're loud and we move around and it's crazy. And maybe we jump into the crowd and, and not not anymore, not so much these days. But you know, back in the day, it was like part of the show, and it's yeah. like it's like seeing it's like watching Fever three 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 on your computer, right? You're getting like a, a one one hundredth of the energy that they want to actually convey, and it doesn't come through the right way. So, yeah, we did that, and you know, that's an expensive thing to do uh, to do those live streams. It costs a lot of money to get the backdrop, you know, like that whole. Did you watch ours? I did not know. 
Or you can, I think you can see some of it on YouTube, but like, okay. you know, we had that whole backdrop. Um, we had to get a designer to make basically like a, <clears throat> a backdrop, like digital set dressing for every song with like some of the lyrics on the screen. And like a lot of things were in time and like, it costs a lot of money to do all that stuff. And we, yeah. we definitely didn't make money off of that. Yeah. But it, but at the time it was like the socially, the, the societal pressure. That was the thing to do. It was like, what do you mean? You're not going to do a live stream? You know what I mean? It was like, that's what people thought like the new normal was going to be. And, you know, I reject that. But we, us not doing it, it was like, you either do this or you do, you do nothing yeah. for like next year. And it was like, all right, we to do it. I mean, that is why all the bands, you know, did it. That's why Silverstein did it. And, uh, you know, whoever else, it was because well, what the fuck else are we going to do? Right. Like we're sitting around at home. Um, at least this is something to maybe make some money or at least, you know, make sure our fans don't forget about us. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, it was, it was both of those things. And the bands that didn't do live streams, you know, everyone's like scratching their head. Like, well, why didn't, why didn't you like, why not? Yeah. And there were plenty of bands that never did like, you know, somebody like counterparts, they never did a live stream. Like, and I'm thinking to myself, it's the same as Fever, Fever 333. Like, I, do I really want to see counterparts through a computer screen? Like, that's a hardcore band. Right. That's about loud energy, in your face, pit, like, all those things. And, and it just doesn't work for a lot of bands. And for some bands, I'm glad that they didn't do live streams because I don't think it would have done anything for them. Yeah, and and it, I think we're a perfect example of that because, you yeah. know, even when, the, even when the, the music came out, I was just like... I don't like this. And I, I texted our manager the day that the, the, the live EP came out and I was like, I think we should stop the live EP. And he was like, why are you telling me this now? And I was like, I don't know, dude, like I'm, I'm freaked out about it. Like I, this is not how I want our fans to hear our music. I don't want this to be like our, our, uh, like our live brand. Like I don't want, I don't want people to associate this with our live sound because it's, it's technically it's tight. Like we sound good. But I'm just like, I'm not cool with this. I don't like the this like um, current fetishization of getting live music from bands and pretending like we're there. Uh, and, and part of it, maybe I was just like, I want to rebuke this whole thing. Like, I don't, I don't like being, I don't like that we're being pushed to do this. I don't like that this is the way our fans have to see it. So part of it was definitely just me freaking out about like, there's no way this can be our future. Like, yeah, I, 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 I don't do music if it's like this, right? That's fair. I, for me, I, I, I agree, man. I don't, I don't do like, I've told people this all the time. And I think I've probably said this in interviews before. I, I don't do music to, to do the music. That's not the fun part. Like actors don't do movies to, to go on set and, and go on location and do the scenes. That's not the fun part. The fun part is when people watch it in the theater. The fun part is like the box office results getting a getting a an oscar like that's why you do the thing you do it's to see the results of the work and and to get up on stage and perform the music like that's why we do the music part of music i don't particularly enjoy writing music i find it tiresome it's a task it's something that there's a lot of creative minds in the same room and everybody has a different idea and sometimes you'll have this great idea where like no i want to say you know, you're my heroine. And somebody might be like, that's a drug. We can't say that. And you're like, no, like, right. And you just go back and forth about this thing where you're like, how is nobody else getting this? And like, it seems like there's a little bit of a perversion of your creative process. Sometimes when you get multiple bodies in the same place, all trying to be creatively vulnerable. And so like, 
I love when the music is done and I'm proud of what I did, but the process of creating music is the, to me, the worst part about being in a band. I'll take like an eight hour drive through Montana over a studio session any day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cause at the end of that drive, there's a show and people that want to meet you and want to watch you play and want to like sweat it out and scream your words back at you. And that's way sexier to me than a hundred takes of the same line because the producer didn't like it. I, I know, man, I know it's, I, I, I definitely agree with you. And I, yeah, I mean, I always tell people, Oh, I'm a slow writer and maybe it, part of it is that I just don't enjoy it that much and that I don't really want to spend like, you know, people that are songwriters and they spend, you know, five days a week writing songs all day. I don't think I could ever do that. I, yeah, I don't get it. You know, I don't know how they have that like energy. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't know if I could, if I could ever do that, but some people love it. So, you know. Yeah. So I'm with you though. I think I write, I write almost all the lyrics at, when we're in the studio and some of that is just because like I'll know what I want to say like I'll have a whole list and like do you have any lyrics and I'm like yeah I have lyrics and like well what are they and I'll be like uh this line like one line and they're like what is that and I'm like that's the whole premise for the song right it centers around this one line and they're like all right we'll write the rest of it and I'm like I don't know what the song sounds like yet like you know it's a little bit it's a little bit like they're asking you to go in with like a character to like you know we're shooting tomorrow like you don't you don't have your you don't have your character and it's like I haven't read the lines yet so it's like, I don't know what the movie's about. And and like, I, I try to write, you know, and I think that's how we get a good product because I'll hear a song and it's like, you have to be able to pivot because if there's a song we have like, like Chelsea, those lyrics make sense for that type of song, but they wouldn't make sense for some of the heavier songs that we have. Or like, you know, a song like Roots, it's like very, it's like a, you know, basically like a fuck you to like all these labels and predatory, you know, agents and, and people we worked with who shelved us or like didn't believe in us. And the song's very mad. So like, it's a very angry, high energy song. And you know how that goes when it's like, and sometimes it works out when you're writing mean or angry things um, yeah. over like happy sounding song. But for me, it's very emotional and I want to write with a lot of intention. And I don't really want to be like, my lyrics are done and this is what they are. And this is how they'll stay. Like it changes and evolves so much in the studio yeah. that it almost never made sense for me to write before I got there. Cause we ended up not using most of that stuff. Right. No, I, I completely understand that as well. So, well, Tony, uh, this has been great, man. Um, what else to tell the people before I let you get on with your day? I mean, not, unfortunately not much. Oh, well, okay. I mean, there's a lot going on. I, you know, it's not stuff that we've to discuss yet, but, um, you heard it here first. So the second album is done. Oh yeah. Um, it's called upright animals. Oh, okay. Wow. And, um, I mean, it just got, we literally just got the masters back yesterday um, from good old Theodore Jensen. And uh, so, so we... Uh, yeah, yeah. Ted Jensen, Sterling Sound. I know, I know him. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Everybody does. Uh, but yeah, so so Ted just sent us the masters uh, like last night and we just been listening to the, to the finished masters and getting hyped. And um, hopefully we're going to release the first single here I'm hoping like to by the end of next month, but we have, we have, you know, we have Europe in June and I, I think we want to have the record out by then. So I'm hoping we do a song, uh, let's see, February, January, March, April, May, June. So yeah, I'm hoping we do like a single every month up until the release. So, you know, it's going to be a, a ton of music videos and all that fun stuff. Um, and yeah, we. I'm hoping. I'm hoping the release is sometime middle of this year. But you should expect new music from us probably. But I would say, 
I want to have a new song out in, inside of a month. All right. So I can, yeah. I can, uh, I can put this, put this up and tell everybody upright animals is the, is the title. Yeah. You, yeah, you, yeah, you can. Um, it's like I said, I, I don't know when they're going to get artwork or music, but it's, yeah, the record is done. Um, oh, wow. Right now we're just, we're just waiting on, uh, you know, we got to come to terms with the, with the label on, on the budgets and what songs they want to be singles and what songs we want to be singles. Then we have to have a big fight about it and figure out <laughs> what, okay. What um, works. Who, who produced this record? <clears throat> uh, so Hiram Hernandez, same guy that did our last one. Yeah. Uh, we worked with him again and we all, we also did some co-writes with, um, <clears throat> Matt good from first to last. Yeah. So yes, uh, he wrote, we, well, we wrote, uh, let's see, I think, I think four, three or four songs on this record we wrote with him. Uh, and I think one of those songs is going to be on like a deluxe version. We'll probably do later, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, I think, I think two, I think two of the singles you'll hear are songs we did with him. Uh, but the rest of them were done with Hiram. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we didn't do a ton of co-writing on this record. A couple dudes came in. We worked with Brandon a lot, Brandon Saller. Yep. On a couple of the songs. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, we just kind of, we, we do like our process is pretty, pretty streamlined now. Like once we found a dude that we liked, we've kind of just been sticking with sure. him. I don't, I don't know if you guys like that too. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, well, can you talk about, you know, stylistically uh how is this record different from the world's in your way uh is it yeah. is it an extension of that or is it did you kind of try some new things in some ways yeah there there is um there's a lot of themes that you'll hear again like we i i, I purposefully rehash like some of the lyrics yeah and not very many of them but you might hear like oh you said that in the last record you know like you know the used has like that blue and yellow thing that keeps coming up randomly like in right the album um so stuff like that like we're some of the some of those um, you know literary devices will be will be present in this record again, and you might hear some lyrics uh, throughout the record that that I touch on because it's a bit of a concept record. Um, but I think stylistically, there is a lot of that typical like the very typical dragged under sound you know that people have come to, to expect. Um, but there's also going to be a lot of like really new stuff in this one. I think we have one kind of like acoustic ballady song. We have a couple of like big big rock songs like dumb guy riffs you know like festival rock stuff um with with an edge like we never want to we always want to have like that punk sentimentality um yeah but i would say like our <clears throat> we tried to go a little bit more like emo if you will on this one and we kind of went back to like the roots of like what we grew up on what we listened to in high school like you know my chemical romance obviously your band's a huge influence of mine um, and we wanted it to be a little bit more honest. There's, I would say there's a lot less screaming on this record. Okay. Just because again, I, I want to showcase that side of what we can do and it's more fun. I think it's more fun to listen to songs that are, that are sung and there's a lot more, you know, we try to think about this stuff from the perspective of what's going to be successful and, you know, screaming music is great, but I want your mom to listen to the record and be like, oh, this is nice or whatever. You sure, know, like, sure. I'm not interested totally in being the that. coolest. I'm not interested in being the coolest band on the festival. I want to be like the, the most fun band to listen to. Love it. I love that. I love that. Cool, man. Well, thank you for the intel. Um, people are going to sure. be very excited for that. I'm very excited for that. Upright Animals, sometime this year. Record is done. You heard it here first. Anthony, thank you very much. Uh, anything else to tell the people? Not much. That's it. We'll see you guys in Europe this year, hopefully. That's all we have left uh, it, for now is the tour in, in Europe. We're doing like a, a headliner out there, a couple of festival shows. Yeah. Maybe we'll see you guys out there. I don't know if you're going to be out there. 
Yeah, we're doing some stuff um, in uh, in the summer. I'm not exactly sure when, but uh, some dates have been announced, some festivals and stuff. So yeah, hopefully we're crossing paths. Yeah, but we'll we'll be out there. We're playing the Ghost Inside uh, in Brixton, their uh, nice. their UK awesome. later this year. And that's pretty much it, man. I'm hoping, like I said, the big thing for us right now is hoping to get some music out for the people um, because they've been they've been patient and yeah. we wanted to let that last album breathe because, like you said, we put it out and then didn't get to tour it at all. <clears throat> so we thought we thought it still had a lot of life left in it, and um, we just wanted to make sure that people heard it enough, and and we wanted to make sure that we were making everyone meet their obligations to to let that baby have its day in the sun. Because the last thing you want is like your debut album to just be like, all right, well, fuck that one's basically thrown away now. We got to move on to the next one. And especially like I said, because I don't like writing, so I was pretty, like <laughs> I was really against it at first, just like no, I'm not. I don't want to go in the studio. I'm not going to the studio. It's summer. I'm golfing. Like call me in the winter. <laughs> All right, so now it's the winter and uh, the record's done. So yeah. Um, All right. Fingers crossed for a release in the next month. Well, everyone is looking forward to it. I am as well. Um, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time, man. For sure. Thank you for having me. So there it is with Tony from Dragged Under. And man, I was not expecting that exciting news of a new Dragged Under record. I mean, I knew it was coming, but to know it's finished, to know that it's called Upright Animals, and to know it's going to be released sometime this year is super exciting. New music, perhaps within a month. That is super, super, super exciting. I want to thank Tony so much for doing this, for being so honest. Um, Wow. This was a really, really great and honest conversation. I really do appreciate it. And thank you for tuning in, for listening, for being here. Episode 301, baby. We're in the 300s. That was a brand new theme song at the beginning too. Care of Jacob Bannon of Converge. He picked it. Rest in peace, Garrett. And everything is just on the up and up over here at Lead Singer Syndrome. So thank you so much for tuning in. We will be back next week, of course, with another great episode and a great guest. And I will leave you with a tune. There's a lot of good Dragged Under songs. We talked about Chelsea a lot, but I'm going to play this one, Instability. Here it is on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. See you next time.
shit, no 